Hey, again, we've said it once, we've said it twice, we'll probably say it 200 more times, but welcome today to our 100th Sunday as a campus. We're so thankful for all... Yeah, absolutely. And my wife said it up front, who looks amazing today, by the way, but my wife said it up front. Um, if this is maybe your first time here with us, or maybe this is your first time to be with us in a while, and you walked in and go, wow, who died? Where, where's the funeral, Right. Uh, there's not today we're called, we called it suit up Sunday. We asked you just to wear your Sunday best. And so some of you got the memo and, and that's great, but there was no dress code. There never is. You come as you are. So next Sunday we'll be back looking like slobs and that's okay. Um, but you just come back with us next week and we'll have a great time. You wear anything you want to within reason, any Sunday that you come and join us. I want you to do this. If you would take out the worship guide that you received when you came in, we gave you a 100 grand bar because we're very witty like that. Um, and so we want you to take that out. If you haven't already eaten it, somebody, anybody want to just be honest, you've already eaten the candy bar. You can raise your hand. Some of you just couldn't wait till lunch, right? Go ahead and take that off. If you would tear it away and look on the back and see if you have a sticker. There's a couple of stickers spread out throughout the room. If you have a sticker, don't get, jump and yell and scream. It's not a Willy Wonka gold ticket and you don't win lifelong chocolate, though some of you think that would be the greatest thing that you could ever do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give away some 100 gifts. We're not giving away 100 things. We're giving away some, air quotes, 100 gifts. And so if you had a sticker on your 100 grand, does everybody have a worship guide, by the way? Everybody get one. If you didn't, raise your hand, and we've got some hosts that will come, some volunteers that will come, and they'll give those to you if we're not already sold out there. We paid a premium for those. If, if you had a tennis ball sticker on the back of your 100 grand bar, would you stand up? Would you stand up if you had a tennis ball? I can't see, so you're going to have to scream and holler. Right? You're kidding me. You are such a liar. All right. Somebody, Sarah, put a microphone in his face. He's never been afraid to talk. What is your name, sir? My name is David Heineman. This is David Heineman. And David, for your tennis ball, you won 30, you won 100 uh, miles worth of gas. You won a gift card with 100 miles worth of gas on that. 100 miles worth of gas. Now, you drive a really large truck. We were basing the miles per gallon on my 97 Volvo. So I get pretty good gas mileage when the car is running, but I don't know how many miles that will buy you in your truck. If you had a football sticker, football sticker on yours would you just stand up and yell hey right there in the middle i think that's angie somebody uh put a microphone there in her face i can't really see tell us who what your name is ma'am my name's angie mitchell angie mitchell you won 100 ounces of coffee from starbucks 100 ounces of coffee from starbucks and it our our understanding is that is that's just two dollars so i don't know uh, for those of you that drink Starbucks, I'm not sure, but uh, you did win a hundred ounces of coffee. If you had a basketball, you had a basketball on a sticker on your hundred grand bar, would you stand and yell? All right, run back there, give him a microphone, give us your name, sir. My name is Kevin Connolly. Kevin Connolly, you won a 100 watt light bulb. All right. <laughs> Now, I realize that you're not that bright, but maybe you can give it to your wife. No, I'm totally kidding. 100-watt light bulb. I'll be here all week. Thanks, folks. I'm wearing a skinny tie, and this is American Idol. No? Okay. Someone told me earlier that I make all ties look skinny. I don't know what that meant. But um, if you had a soccer ball sticker on your 100 grand bar, would you stand? Would you stand right in the middle, I think? I can see a shadow, a silhouette. Pass the microphone. Let's get a name right there. 
My name is Bruce Mosticcio. I'm not going to pronounce that last name, but sir, if you're not doing radio, you're missing your calling. So he wins a hundred pennies, 100 pennies. Congratulations, which I think will get you no coffee. All right. So, and if you had a golf ball on your 100 grand bar, would you stand and yell and scream and holler? Ma'am, there's a noise ordinance here. I'm going to ask you not to scream. What, what's your name, ma'am, for those in the room that may not know you? Rachel Sandal. Rachel Sandal, you've won a $100 bill. Congratulations. And we have already notified your husband that you won it so that he can take part in uh, sharing in, in, in the spending of that $100. Hey, we are so glad that you're here. And, and this was just an opportunity for us to have a little fun with that. Feel free to eat that candy bar. Uh, you feel free to do that uh, and, and just do that throughout the remainder of our time. What I want you to do now, turn your attentions to the screen. Let's, let's hear some uh, things that we want you to know about and then we'll come back. This journey of 100 Sundays, for some of you, like I said earlier in the service, this may be your first Sunday, uh, but this journey of 100 Sundays really started prior to the very, hey, there, this is, let there be light. Uh, this journey of 100 Sundays started actually prior to the first service that we ever had. Uh, in, in January of 2011, Pastor Mark, who is our senior pastor at both of our Mount Perrin North locations, uh, he announced to our Marietta congregation that we were going to open a campus in Canton. Now, that wasn't the first time that he had referenced a new campus. He had actually talked about that. Well, I think I said January. I meant June is when he announced that. In January of that year, just six months prior to that, he announced to the Marietta congregation that he wanted them to be in prayer about something that God had really been stirring and, and doing in him and in our staff about the possibility of opening a new campus somewhere. We didn't have the location at that point. We were still praying about it, looking at that. So that first announcement was in January with very little details. Then the, the detailed information came out in, in June of 2011. And on that Sunday, Pastor Mark and I were kind of team teaching together at the Marietta campus and talking about what this campus would look like, at least in our understanding at that point, having never had one Sunday up here. And, and we gave opportunity for the people of our Marietta campus just to jump in and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this new work. I want to be a volunteer there because he, he was very upfront right from the very beginning. He said, you're not just going there to sit. You're not just going there to attend a church that may be closer to your home, though it may be closer to where you live. But you're going there to serve. If you're going to be a part of this new thing, we really want you to go with an understanding that you're going to commit yourself to really helping us get this thing off the ground and reach the 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles of Sequoia High School. That's a number we throw around a lot. Um, that, for us, was a motivating factor in choosing this place. It wasn't the only reason we came here, but we found out there were 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles. And, and our vision as a church between both campuses was then and is now to help people live a Christ-centered life. And we say that sometimes it's on the worship guide every Sunday that you attend. It's right there on the front. You may not have even seen it. Help people live a Christ-centered life. And for us, understanding that there were 85,000 unchurched people, that said to us there are a lot of people that maybe are living lives that are not Christ-centered. It doesn't mean if you don't go to church, you're not a good person, or maybe even that you're going to hell. But we just said, hey, if, if there's some reason that they may be out of a community of faith, a family, a church setting, um, there could be a lot of reasons. But a lot of those people are probably not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that. And, and over uh, the next few months, we did a lot of things. We had people that had signed up to want more information or they said from day one, we're in. And so we had some informational meetings. 
Um, we had some prayer walks here in this community, not too far from the Sequoia School here where we meet. Um, we had some outreach events. We had some practice load in and load out times here at the school because we knew we would be portable. And so we practiced bringing it all in the school and taking it all back out. We, we met at our Marietta campus and set up our stage with sound and lighting and video. And all this is set up by volunteers. We, except for the lights that are shining on me, everything else we bring in. And so we practiced that. We worked on that. And we had people that gave of their time. We didn't have a place to store our equipment in Canton. So we would get done. We would rent U-Hauls. We would load the things on the U-Hauls, and then we would drive them up here and do that. And then we would drive that equipment back to the Marietta campus, unload them into that church, and then take the U-Haul trucks back. It was a lot of work. Those people worked very, very hard. And there are a group of those people that are still serving with us today. Not all of them are. Some of them are still with us as a part of our, of our campus, but they've had to step out of serving for a season. Others have, have gone back to our Marietta campus. They were only with us to help us launch it, and then they went back after a season. But I want to honor some of those people that have been with us since day one. Now, again, if I miss somebody, that just means I'm a terrible person, okay? So please, please don't hold it against me and, 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 and sneak into my house and do something ugly to me. But I, I've tried, with the help of others, to get all of the names that I could of the people that signed up either on day one or joined our team shortly thereafter prior to the very first service that we held. And I'm going to call these names out. And when I do, I want you to stand where you are. We'll kind of hold our applause at the end, and then we want to honor you, okay? Some of them couldn't be here today for family reasons, but let me just call some of these names out. Ashlyn Brandon, Beth, Gary, and Caitlin Brandon, Roy Cheatham, Fran Farr, Jeff Farr, Lacey Farr, Solomon Farr, Donald Pruitt, who has a birthday this coming Tuesday, by the way, Justin Fountain, Kelly Fountain, Britt Henderson, Stephanie Henderson, David, Helene, and Christy Heinemann, Corey Cates, Jeff Cates, Danielle Moon, Doris Morris, Gerald Morris, Corey Munsell, Kim Otwell, Alan Rines, Kathy and Tom Riedel, Sarah Reel, Rachel Sandal, who won $100 a minute ago, lucky dog, uh, Rick Sandal, who wants to spend part of that money, Brian Smith, Beth and David Wadsworth, Carol and Keith Whitaker, Connor Beekner, Daryl and Preston York. If you are in the room, would you stand with us now? And would can we give a hand to these folks right here? Absolutely. Let me, let me say to you before you sit down, even though some of you just sat down, that's okay. That's that awkward half sit, get back up. Um, let me say to you, and I know hopefully we didn't miss anybody. Like I said, there are people that have stepped out of serving for different seasons or aren't serving right now. But these people, by and large, have served from Sunday number one to Sunday 100 on some type of rotation. And let me say to you in this room and those that have served alongside of them for some part of these hundred Sundays, including our current serving teams, that Corey and I love you. And we know that what God is doing among us could not happen outside of your efforts on the human side of this equation. We love you and we are believing that the next 100 Sundays and beyond will be even greater than these first 100. And I can't wait to do that with you. God bless you guys. I love you so much. You can have a seat. Now, today we are going to look to the Bible. I don't know if you were expecting that or not, but we're going to conclude a series that we've been in for the last five weeks. It's called Blueprint for Life. And Blueprint for Life is a how-to guide for Christian living written by the half-brother of Jesus, a guy named James. 
and so we're reading out of the book of James. And so we're going to look at James chapter 4 today, but before we do, I've got one more quiz for you, one more little game we're going to play. I'm going to throw up some road signs without the words on them. And what I want you to do is you can yell out, this is that kind of church where you can just yell it out. Um, I want you to yell out if you know what that road sign is, okay? So I'm going to start really, really easy. Let's throw the first one up there. What is that? Stop sign. Some of you, you know what it is, but you don't do it. But that is a stop sign. Um, What's the next one? Go ahead and throw the next one up there. What is that one? School zone. Yes. And let me just tell you, if you don't honor that, that's going to cost you a pretty penny. All right. Next one. No, not yield. No passing. No passing. All right. Let's throw the next one up there. Oh, it's a circle. Yes. Rick Sandal, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for, I believe it's a circle, but I'm going to say Jesus. All right. Anybody? Railroad. There we go. It is a railroad sign. And another one. There it is. There's the yield sign. Why would I show you all those? Because today we're talking about yielding. See how creative I am? You see how that worked right there? I want you, if you got a Bible, to turn with me to James chapter 4 as we conclude this series looking at yielding. If you see a yield sign, some of you may or may not obey that or honor that. But a yield sign really tells us that we are to, some of us stop there, some of us slow down, some of us see it and wave as we continue at our present speed. But it's the idea that we're to yield yield to the right of way. Someone else has permission by law to actually go in front of us, right? We're coming up to where two roads blend together and one of those two roads is going to have a yield sign so that the other side of the traffic can continue on. We yield to them and we continue on behind them. If there's no one there, then we keep going and that's fine. But we have to acknowledge that there's someone coming who is able to take the right of way to get in front of us and then we follow in behind there. James chapter 4 is where we're going to start today. And we're going to start off on a really negative note. We've been celebrating. It's been light and fun. And then the first few words of James chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, is not going to be pretty. And this is what it says. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? Now, we had a red carpet outside in the lobby when you came in today. And I hope that you were able to stop by there and get your picture taken and with somebody that you came with. Or if not, hey, meet somebody. And that's awesome. We'll celebrate that at your wedding that you met on 100 Sundays here with us. But if you didn't on your way out, stop by, get your picture taken. A red carpet and the paparazzi that we were kind of using to snap your picture, standing in front of this big logo board, is something that we see maybe at award shows, or we see them at fashion shows, or we see them at some other type of movie premiere, or something in our pop culture that says there are a bunch of people coming together to do something worthwhile, and so we want to take their picture before they get in there, right? I mean, that's the only thing I can figure. And you, you see it at certain things, award shows or whatever. They're, who are you wearing? What are you wearing? Right? I felt like when you showed up, everybody was trying to go to a funeral after we finished today. I don't know what happened. But for us, we, we, we kind of just tried to reenact that just to have fun, celebrate that. But red carpet and paparazzi and pop culture, none of those things by themselves are evil. Right? None of those things are sinful. None of those things are evil. But we do see in our culture... That there are some things that come out of some aspects of this culture that, that, that aren't pretty. 
right? We see sin and evil come out of some of the pop culture fame and fortune. And we see people that are getting their pictures taken. And we're paying money to buy magazines to see them have their picture taken. We're watching television shows of people that are famous because we watch their television shows for no other reason. They they don't do anything worthwhile. They're just famous because they're on TV and we watch it. And so there is fame and fortune that comes to them because they are now elevated in our culture as someone that we are to look to. And so in this world, in our, this culture that we live in, again, not any of those things by themselves may be sinful or evil, but we do see that out of that lifestyle sometimes comes really sinful, evil, ugly things. It's not just confined to these famous people or these people that stand in front of, you know, logo boards on red carpet, but that's kind of where our attention gets turned to from time to time. And we see among these people, we see these things as they pursue more and more fame, maybe. And for them to pursue more and more fame and to get more and more cameras turned toward them, they have to do more and more to get our attention. What got our attention the first time will not get our attention the second time. The things that we would turn and look at, the things that we would turn our attention towards the first time that made them famous that made them someone that we looked at, now they have to do something even more shocking to keep our attention. Maybe you've seen this in recent months with some of the celebrities, some of the singers and movie artists and and, and actors and actresses, all these people, they do certain things and then in their next single, their next album, their next movie, their next television show, they have to do something else to get our attention or to keep our attention. There's evil and there's sin and so in their pursuit of more and more fame, they don't want to drift to the background where you're looking at someone else and you see someone else as more famous than they are. So they do something to get our attention. And again, probably not all, not, I won't say probably, not all those people are bad people. They're not all evil people. Some famous people love God with all their heart. It's not about fame or fortune necessarily, but it's about our culture that requires us as we pursue more notoriety, pursue more fame to do things that get other people's attention. And deep inside all of us, even if I would say probably that nobody in this room is is really famous outside of maybe some small or medium-sized circles, maybe some sphere of influence in your company or in the community or your kind of field that you work in or something with your family maybe, but by and large in the pop culture scheme of things, nobody in this room is really famous. But deep down inside of all of us, there is something that wants to be recognized that wants to be known, that wants people to look at us and go, man, there's something about you that I aspire to. I see what you can do or what you have or the things that you can accomplish and I want those things. And so we get this little bit of fame in our lungs. We get this little bit of recognition of, look, they they know me. My boss recognized me. My boss's boss knew that I accomplished this thing on the job that I didn't even know he knew I was working on. And then the next time we begin to aspire not to complete the job with excellence necessarily, but we have an ulterior motive maybe to do the job so that other people look at us and see, wow, look what you can accomplish when you really put your mind to it. Look what you can accomplish when, man, we need to give him promotions. We need to give her more money. We need to do, and all of those things are great. I hope they happen for everybody in the room. But if our motivation is to aspire, to be known, to be made known, to be made famous in some realm, to be pushed up and say, look at you. You're the most important. You're the most famous. You're the most talented. You're the funniest. You're the, if that is our motivation, that's where we get in trouble because deep down inside of all of us, there is that desire because our culture plays to that. It caters to that mentality. 
And so we think sometimes that it is a result of our culture. It is a result of our company. It's how they give raises. It's how they give promotions. It's how people are made famous. And so we want to kind of spit out into the dark and say, it's your fault, culture. It's your fault, world. It's your fault, sinful nature. It's your fault, Adam and Eve in the garden to create sin and eat the apple. And if you wouldn't have done that, nobody would ever be evil. There'd be no sin. Everything would be great. But really what James shows us before we even get to the verse that we just read is it's not the culture, it's not the world, it's not even sinfulness or evil outside, it's something else. Let's look at this in James 4, chapter, uh, verse, beginning in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, and so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James says that we are being unfaithful to God and and choosing the world over him. That's where he started in verse four when he says we're an adulterous people in the crudest way possible. Trying to be very aware of everybody in the room. It's saying we're cheating on God with the world. We as a people are walking away from our first love to be enticed towards something else that is not God. And what James says before we ever get there is it's not the things in the world that are causing us the problems. It's the things inside of us. The reasons that we find ourselves enticed out there is not because of the out there. It's because of the in here. I am not cheating on the father Because of something in the world that's more enticing than that. Because the reality is, if I truly had the proper perspective, there's nothing more enticing than a relationship with the Father. There's nothing better than God. But what I do is when I take my eyes off the Father, I begin to look inside of myself and I begin to do things that serve me and my needs and my wants and my desires. And it becomes this inward focus. And then there are things surrounding me. There are things outside of me. And I'm not saying that everything is bad and everything is evil. And I'm not saying that today. Please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. But I'm saying then there is the opportunity for the things in the world to take advantage of the things that I'm seeking because of the battles that are going on inside of me. Because I've taken my eyes off of my first love. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, for those of us in any way who have ever had a relationship with God, maybe a very deep, intimate, abiding relationship, or maybe something kind of surface, and we were just feeling it out, we were almost, again, I'm trying to kind of keep this metaphor rolling, but we were almost kind of, you know, just dating around, but God was there, and he was in that relationship. We were just checking it out and trying to see if this was something we wanted to kind of be involved in long term. But no matter what your relationship with God has ever been, I think there is an understanding hopefully, that, that there's something about God that touches something inside of you. We read, and we're going to reference it again in just a minute. Oh, we haven't read it yet, but we're going to read it in just a minute. But it talks about that God jealously desires the spirit inside of each of us. So there is a spirit part of me that connects to the spirit of God And anytime I am in a relationship with God, there is a connection there that cannot be duplicated by anything else. There can be other things that I do or participate in that might make me feel that way for a certain season or may cover it up or mask it in some way. But there is a spirit part of me that's connected to the spirit of God. And that's the way God created me. And so when I 
take my eyes off my first love and put my eyes on other things. It's actually me neglecting something on the inside of me that was created by God for God and not me just pursuing evil in the world. We unfortunately live in a day and time where probably most of us have been affected by some type of marital unfaithfulness. We know somebody that did this, that stepped outside the bounds of their marital relationship. We know a couple, we know some friends of ours maybe. But in some way, I would think all of us, maybe deeply personal or just at a distance, we, we know something that's happened. And there's a lot of questions that come in those seasons, and I would in no way try to answer any of those questions today. But I do think that if we look at Scripture to understand the foundational pieces of the marital relationship, in my very limited opinion, marital unfaithfulness doesn't usually occur because of the external forces. It doesn't usually occur because there is something out there that's better than what we have. Not really. That may be a piece of it. That may be the excuse that's given. That may be the, the thing that's verbalized. But deep down in the knower of the person that's guilty of this offense, if they were honest with themselves, this is not about the external. It's about the internal. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's in verse 21. This is right before we get to this husbands and wives relationship. But in Ephesians 5, it says that we are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It means that a lowest common denominator among human relationship is that I submit to the people in my life. It means that I yield to them. It doesn't mean I become a pushover. It doesn't mean that I let people take advantage of me. But it does mean that I am going to view them out of my reverence towards Christ... As someone that I should make sure that they're taken care of. That I should make sure that they're cared for. That they're loved and nurtured. And that they, they get the things that they're pursuing with their life. And so out of reverence for Christ, I'm going to submit to them. And here's the way it works in harmony. This may seem idealistic to some of us. But here's the way it's supposed to work according to scripture. As I submit to them and defer to them. They at the same time are submitting to me and deferring to me. It, it, I've used this analogy a lot, and this is a terrible way to say it because we're talking about some really deep issues. But when my wife and I are trying to decide where we want to go eat on Sunday afternoons, one or the other of us will say, I don't care, where do you want to go? Mutually submitted on like the most basic, terrible level ever would be both of us not even wanting to choose a place for fear that it might not be what she or he wants. I don't care, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care, where do you want to go? It's not like a first date. That's what you do on a first date because you're uncomfortable, Right? But this is this idea that I am going to submit to her desires and her wants, right? And so there are times where we're going to eat sushi. Not because I love sushi like she loves sushi. Because I want her to have sushi. And we've had Mexican seven days in a row. <laughs> See how I did that right there? Seven days and then we rest on the Mexican. And then, no, I think that was six, but... Mutually submitting to one another. And then after that verse in Ephesians chapter 5, then it gets into the specifics. Then the writer of Ephesians says, okay, now that you have this lowest common denominator, let's take it outside the marriage relationship. And let's just say with the people on your job, the people in your home, 
the people in your neighborhood. There's a mutual submission even towards those people because of your reverence for Christ. You're not self-seeking and trying to get your way all the time. You're going to do that. Then let's take that attitude that you're already displaying, you're already working towards. Let's pull it into the marital relationship. And now let's say, husbands, you're already submitting to everybody out of reverence for Christ. Let's take it one step further. Now I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. You want to talk about yielding? You want to talk about submitting? He gave up not where are we going to go to lunch today after church. He gave up his very life on earth for his bride. And I, as a husband, am commanded to do that. Not just to submit to her, though that's a piece of it. That's a lowest common. I'm supposed to submit to everybody in the room. But as I'm doing that, I am supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. And then there's this verse in this process. And I start with husbands because that relates to me. But there's this verse that seems to get a really bad stigma about wives submitting to your husbands. This is not about being second class. You're already submitting to everybody in the room. But now there is, beyond just this submission, this mutual submission because of reverence for Christ, now there is this submission to your husband as unto God. I'm submitting to my husband, if I'm the wife, as if I'm submitting to God. And so there is a mutual submission that's taking place and a love for one another that's abiding. And here's the thing. I believe... And I don't claim to be an expert, and you could probably give me an example of where it wasn't this way. So please hear it out of my naivety and just trying to do my best to just kind of parse scripture here. I believe that in the marital relationships where there is a two-way mutual submission, it is difficult for the enemy to get into the middle of that, create division, and there to be marital unfaithfulness. I'm not saying one of the partners is not trying to mutually, trying to submit, trying to love their spouse or submit to their... I'm not saying that, but I'm saying where there's two partners that are attempting together to live out these scriptures that we've been talking about. It's difficult for the enemy to get in the middle of that and create this marital unfaithfulness because remember, it's not about the external. It's not about who shows you attention when you're submitted to them because it's not about the selfishness out there. It's about the selfishness in here. You're like, man, where the heck are we going with this? I think inside of all of us, in our desire to be recognized and be famous in some realm, and to have someone know who we are, we get it twisted a little bit, and we think that the most important thing is going on out there. And really the most important thing is going on in here. I can't be selfish when I am selflessly serving someone else. Right? I can't be selfish if I am selflessly serving someone else that I am submitted to out of reverence for Christ, loving as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, submitted to my husband as unto God. I can't be selfish and do those things. But many times we find the opposite of those things to be true. And that's where we find heartache and heartbreak and pain. And there's this interesting thing to me in this passage of Scripture that we're reading in James. James doesn't deal with the things that I just dealt with. I set us up because I think we can all identify in some way with what we were just talking about. But when James is talking to us about 
being an adulterous people and being double-minded and needing to wash our hands and purify our minds because we're cheating on our first love with the world. James uses some very interesting language here to talk to us, beginning in verse 7, about how to avoid that. We just said in that marital relationship that we're supposed to mutually submit to one another. This is what James says about how to avoid being an adulterous people towards the Father. Verse 7 of James chapter 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Yield to God. Give up selfishness to have selflessness. Yield to God. Don't be in it for your own desires, your own wants. Don't try to make it just the way you want it all the time. Pull up to the yield sign and understand that God, if you will let him, will get in front and guide you. Submit yourselves then to God. And here's this thing that some of us have heard or said, but we don't live out. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here's the transaction. If I don't want to be an adulterous person towards God, I am to submit myself to God. And, And here's this cool thing about the interaction that I have with the enemy and the interaction I have with God. I resist the devil, he flees from me. I come near to God and he comes near to me. I I resist the enemy and he leaves. I lean into the father's embrace and he leans into me. I am supposed to be submitted to the father, yield to the father. So if you're anything like me, when you're driving your car, you don't really wait around for much, right? I would almost rather be going backwards than sitting still in traffic. I don't know that I've ever been the same way to work. I just drive until the traffic stops and find another way to the, to the office. I hate sitting still. If there are any officers in the room, please close your ears. I will pull through a parking lot or your yard. I'm just not sitting behind other cars, I just don't like doing it. I feel like I'm losing time. I can be more effective while I'm moving. And so I come up to yield signs. And I don't treat them like stop signs. I come up to yellow lights. And I don't, I don't treat them like red lights. <laughs> I treat them like speed up lights. Right? I have this thing deep inside of me that thinks if I yield to other cars, I'll get there slower may be true, but I take that same idea and I put it in my relationship with God and I think if I yield to God, if I submit to him, I get behind. I don't get what I want. I can't accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. So I try to get out in front. I try to lead the way. I take all these crazy routes to get where I'm going because I think that I know the best way to get there. And I think ultimately what God may be saying to us this morning is if you will yield to me, I'll show you how to get there. 
Here's the reality for me. It may not be for you. But even though I think in my life, when I yield, I get behind, the reality is when I yield, I get ahead. When I yield, I get ahead. When I yield to God, I get ahead. Because God helps me to accomplish more than I can accomplish on my own. He delivers me to the promised land, Old Testament reference. That was always out in front of me. But my disobedience kept me in the desert. When his promises for me were right out there. When I yield, I get ahead. And so I, I'm not trying to make a really loose connection today. But let me make a connection that I believe with all of my heart. These first 100 Sundays for us were started by God delivering a promise, an idea, a thought into the heart of our senior pastor, Dr. Mark. He took that dream, that vision that he didn't really understand completely and he delivered it to a couple of us and handed pieces of it off. And we took those things and we saturated them in prayer. And if we weren't careful, we could begin to think that we knew what it was going to look like. But as long as we kept God out in front, as long as we yielded, we kept finding ourselves ahead. And then we announced it in June of 2011, and there were some people sitting in the Marietta campus that day, and they yielded to God. And they said, this is home, this is comfort, this church that we come to every Sunday and we sit in, but we're going to yield to God, and we're going to be a part of something that we cannot imagine. We don't know what the 100th Sunday will look like because we don't know what the first Sunday will look like. But we're in. And we came to this community and since that time, many of you have joined our ranks as a regular attender, even a member, which we'll welcome later in our service today for some folks that are joining our church. You've started serving, you've jumped into life groups or maybe you're still checking us out and that's okay because even if you are, you're already a part of us. And we yield to God we come early and we set up a school to be a place where we meet with the Almighty. Our students, middle school and high school, meet in a warehouse with no heat sometimes. <laughs> no air most of the time to worship God together. Meet in small groups together. You get out of your comfort zone and you jump into a group and you, you just didn't think you'd love it. And now they're some of your best friends in the world. We yield to God and we find ourselves ahead. I could never imagine what today would look like because I didn't know what the first one would look like. But as long as I, fully me, and then you alongside of me if you believe this, as long as I yield to God, He will always lead us where we're supposed to go. And so as we kind of conclude our time today, I want you to turn your attentions to the screen. We're going to watch a video, kind of recap, just a couple minutes of our first 100 Sundays as a campus. And we're going to come back and we're going to pray together to close out our time. Would you stand with me? When you see it like that, does anything for you, but it pumps me up. I can't wait for the next hundred and the hundred after that. 
I believe that this is just the beginning. If we will believe that yielding gets us ahead. That submitting our lives to God and submitting us as a group, as a church to God will allow us to accomplish everything that God envisioned when he had this idea long before you and I ever showed up here. I believe God can do it and more. The biblical words would be exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or even imagine. I believe God can do that if we will be a submitted people. Would you do this? Would you just take the hand of the person beside you if that doesn't make you too uncomfortable? If it does, that's okay. We'll just break the chain right there where you're standing. But I want us to pray today. I want us to pray for a couple of things specifically. I want you to start by praying for yourself. I want you to pray, God, help me to be submitted to you. Help me to yield my desires and my wants to you. Don't let me be selfish, but God, let me be submitted to who you are and what you want to do. And then I want you to pray for the people beside you. The people whose hands you hold, I want you to pray that same prayer for them. God, let them be submitted to you. Accomplish in them all that you desire, God, as they submit themselves. And then I want you to pray for us as a congregation, as a campus. I want you to pray for both of our campuses, both in Marietta and Canton. We want God to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we could ask or even imagine. And so I want you to pray for us as a church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for 100 Sundays. That's just a number that represents your faithfulness. But God, right now in this moment, I pray for myself. I pray, God, that I am submitted to you, that I yield to you, God, because when I yield to you, I actually get ahead. I think it puts me behind, but it actually puts me ahead. And so, God, let me submit myself to you. Every piece of me that's selfish, God, burn it away. Take it out of me. Help me to identify it and put it away. God, let me be submitted to you and your desires for me and for my life. And now, God, we pray for the people on our right and on our left. God, we pray that whatever things they need in their life, that, God, they would get them. They would accomplish them as they submit themselves to you. You're not a genie in a bottle. You're not a magic lamp. But, God, you're a God. You're a father who wants the best for his children. And so now we pray that they would get the desires of their heart, but not as they selfishly seek those things, but God, as they seek you, you and your desires for them. And God, lastly, we lift up our church, both of our campuses, both of our locations, both Marietta and here in Canton. God, we're believing that you sent us to both of these locations. One of them was 26 years ago and one of them was a hundred Sundays ago. But God, you sent us to these communities to help people live a Christ-centered life. And so God, help us as a people to live out that mission by helping connect people that we know who do not to find you as we pursue you ourselves. Let us draw near to you and God, see you drawing near to us. God, I pray now, lastly, for every person in this room that while I was speaking today or maybe in some other part of this service, they know that they are an adulterous people toward you. God, they've betrayed you. They've walked away from this first love of who you are, initiating love towards them. God, I pray now for your forgiveness to just reign in their life, for your love and your acceptance and your peace to be something they feel right now as I'm talking. That God, when they leave this place, it's a fresh start. It's a moment where they renew with you the things that they know deep inside. God, I thank you for that. 
let today be just the beginning in someone's life and in the life of our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more time, can we put our hands together and thank God?